I'm preaching a series of sermons on the uh, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached, recorded in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And we're learning from this sermon that if we are going to be followers of Jesus, we have to live differently. In order to be like the Father, we sometimes have to be different from the crowd. And today we're going to learn that that different living includes living a life without worry. Anybody here have a problem with worry? You ever have any stress, any anxiety, any anxiousness, any apprehension about the future? Well, today we're going to learn that Jesus says, because of your relationship to the Father, you don't have to live that kind of life. Let's begin in in Matthew chapter 6 on this passage about worry with verse 25. And the first word of it is, therefore. So all that Jesus is going to teach us about worry in this passage that's following is based upon what we looked at last week. So let me review for just a moment. Some of you were snowed in in that big snow and you couldn't get here last Sunday morning. And uh, some of you had clock trouble last Sunday. So let me review for a moment. Uh, Last week we looked at what Jesus said about money and we saw that Jesus said that we're to put our treasures in heaven, not upon earth. This is the foundation for a life free of worry. Now, we learned last week that this doesn't mean that we don't plan or save. We looked at the scripture about the ant who uh, laid up treasures for the season. We're to have an emergency fund. We talked about that last week. We're to be prepared for emergencies. We're to plan for the future. We're to prepare for the future, but we're not to worry about the future. And so our treasure is to be laid in heaven. So that's the foundation, all that we looked at last week. In other words, if you don't have a right idea about money, if you don't have the Jesus view of money, you're going to be more prone to worry. When you get Jesus' view of money, it lays a foundation for a life that's free from worry. So, therefore is the first word. Now the next phrase he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So Jesus tells us not to worry about the basic necessities of life. And in the Greek tense, this is uh, stop and action in progress. So what Jesus is saying here, William's translation translates it often like these Greek tenses, and his translation says, stop worrying. So if you're a worrier today and you say, oh, I've just always been a worrier. That's just who I am. Jesus says, you don't have to be like that anymore. You can stop. Jesus says it's possible for you to change your attitude about your worrying. He says to us in this opening phrase, stop worrying. You've got to live differently now and you don't have to live that worried life anymore. What we're going to look at today is that Jesus gives us four reasons not to worry, and then we're going to summarize this passage by four steps that you can take to overcome worry in your life. So let's look at them together. The first reason that Jesus says not to worry is that worry accomplishes nothing. Worry is futile. Worry doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, Worry accomplishes nothing. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, Can any of one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? 
the, the word there is a measurement of either space or time. So the old translation said, could you add a cubit to your stature? Newer translations usually have it, can you add an hour to your life? And the answer to both, of course, is no. Worry doesn't accomplish anything. Someone said that worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. And that's true. Uh, worry, uh, it uh, takes away, doesn't take away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. And so it doesn't accomplish anything. The first reason Jesus said don't worry is because it's useless. It's futile. It accomplishes nothing. Second, and perhaps the main point of the whole passage, the second reason not to worry is that because you have a Father who promises to provide for your needs. If you've been with us in the Sermon on the Mount, you know that in chapter 6, this word Father occurs 12 times times. It's the key word in this chapter. And so it's because you have a relationship with the Father that you don't have to worry. Little kids, when you were a little kid, did you worry a lot about income tax? Did you worry about, uh, did you worry about budgets and stuff when you were seven or eight? No. Why? Because you had parents and it was up to them to provide for you. Well, Jesus says you're in that same dependent position. You have a father who provides for you. So Jesus uses two comparisons from creation, from nature, to help us see this. First of all, he talks about the birds and how God feeds them. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. So we can learn something from creation. God made everything, and he's put his principles in nature. So he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Right now, uh, birds are migrating from South America, uh, coming across the Gulf of Mexico, making their way into the southeastern United States and following spring northward. Purple Martin Scouts have already arrived. Hummingbirds, you can go online to Hummingbird Tracker and track the progress of hummingbirds. They're about in middle Alabama, middle Georgia now. They'll be here uh, soon. But it's incredible to think that a hummingbird that weighs less than a nickel flies from South America, crosses hundreds of miles of ocean in the Gulf of Mexico, to make landfall along the Gulf Coast, replenishes its supplies of, of, of sugar there and makes its way on north. And so all those birds coming by the, by the millions right now on their spring migration, they, they, they leave Central America and set out across that ocean and they're dependent that God is going to have spring there for them. There's going to be insects for the martins, going to be nectar for the hummingbirds, and they're dependent upon God. And they trust that God is going to have the seasons. Oh, March is unpredictable, and sometimes it seems like winter's hanging on, but it's going to come. God's going to bring spring, and he's going to bring blossoms, and there's going to be food for them when they arrive, and they're dependent upon him. And so the comparison Jesus makes, later part of verse 27, are you not much more valuable than they? It's a comparison from lesser to greater. If God cares for the birds that we often don't even give any thought to, but God does, how much more will he provide for you? You're the crown of his creation. You're made in his image. He loves you supremely. 
And so don't think that your life and your, your stresses are completely, uh, you're alone in the universe. There is a Father who knows what you need and will provide the basics for you as he does feed the birds. The second comparison from nature is about clothing and it's about the wildflowers. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And so again, it's a comparison from lesser to greater. If God clothes the flowers in splendor that's just exquisite. You ever seen the poppies of California, the bluebells of Texas? You ever been to the, the Smoky Mountains when the uh, spring wildflowers are in bloom? And, and the thing is, you've got to go at just the right time. That display of trillium that'll just cover those mountain slopes white will only last for a couple of weeks. They have the spring wildflower pilgrimage in the Smokies third weekend in April every year because that's the only time you can see it. So God puts, invests all that beauty in something that is there for only a short time. And as Jesus says here, pretty soon they're going to fade and the women who baked in those ovens would gather the fronds of those flowers and throw them in for fire starter to get the fire started. And yet God invests great care in them. How much more is he not going to care for you? You see what Jesus is saying to you here? You can trust the Father, to care for you. And so you don't need to worry. The third reason that Jesus says not to worry is because it exhibits a lack of faith in God. Look at the last words in verse 30. O you of little faith. When you worry, you're a person of little faith. Now, that's okay. That's where to start because Jesus says if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can move mountains. So everybody starts with a little faith. But the thing is, as you grow as a Christian, your faith should be growing. And you don't need to stay as a person of little faith. It's good to begin there. That's fine. But if you keep worrying, it shows that you're not growing in faith. It is a sign of faithlessness. Look what he says in the next verse, verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So he says here that worry is a characteristic of godlessness. He's saying the pagans, they run after these things. They're they're agitated because they don't have this relationship with the Father, He's their father creator, but he's not their father redeemer until you come into a personal relationship with him. And so when you worry, you're sort of denying your faith, he says. You're acting like an unbeliever, and this is one of those areas where we're going to have to differentiate ourselves from others and live differently. And that will be a witness when you face stressful situations with a degree of peace that could not come from yourself It'll be a witness to the people you work with and you go to school with. So I know you don't start there, but you need to grow in faith and and so that you can be that that witness. Someone has said, we often talk like theists, but live like deists. A theist believes in the active presence of God in our lives. 
A deist believes there's a God, but he's just off up there somewhere, and he's not at all connected or involved in our world. Well, if you're a theist, Christians are theists, we believe in a personal, active God, then live like a theist, don't live like a deist, somebody, a God that is distant. We differentiate ourselves. The fourth reason not to worry, Jesus says, is because there's an alternative to a worried life. There's a better way to live. You don't have to live this way. And that alternative is to focus on the kingdom of God. And so he says in verse 33, but, here's the alternative, but, the other way to live, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus says, if you run after these things, you're going to be worried. But when you, when you trust the Father and your focus in life is not self-centered. See, worry is self-centered. But when your focus is kingdom-centered, then something bigger fills your life. Uh, and, and you have a purpose there. And the byproduct is that all these other things will be added to you as well. Isn't it, isn't it ironic in the Christian life? You focus, if you make money the main thing in your life, if you make your needs the main thing in your life, you're going to be worried. But when you, you plan for the future, but you don't worry about it, then you fill your life with the kingdom, and you have a passion for the kingdom, all these other things are added to you as well. So Jesus closes this passage, verse 34, by saying, Therefore... Do not worry about tomorrow. Now, the tense in that first verse, in verse 25, was to stop an action in progress. Here, it's a different construct. It's don't ever worry. He said, stop worrying about your life and about food and clothing. But now, it's even stronger. Don't ever worry about tomorrow. For he says, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, Jesus is teaching us here to live in the present. Plan for the future. Prepare for the future. But when you have done all that you can do, then don't worry about the future. Live in the present. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to banish those what-ifs from your mind. You know how that works? You get a new boss, and he doesn't like you, and you think, oh, what if? What if he fires me? What if I lose my job? What if I can't make my house payment? What if I live under a bridge? And what if there's an axe murderer under the bridge? And oh, it just goes, you know, on and on, doesn't it? And so you're living in the future. Now, you, you're going to pr- do all you can for the future, but then you're not going to live in the future. Tomorrow has enough trouble for itself. Tomorrow, worry about itself. You live in the present. Hasn't he already taught us, give us this day our daily bread? Didn't we already learn that in the, the Lord's Prayer that we went through? That daily awareness that we're dependent on him for every breath of life. So how do you do that? How do you live in the present? How do you banish those what-ifs? Well, let me sort of summarize this passage again, go through it again, and glean a four-step plan. If you're a worrier, if you've got some stress right now in your life about your family, your job, your health, whatever it may be, what can I do? Well, let me give you four steps to overcome worry. Number one, stop yourself whenever you start to worry. 
Remember, Jesus said, the opening line, stop worrying. So take him at his word, and what you're going to need to do is consciously shut down your runaway mind. Because what happens when you worry, you start this path, and it just sort of, it just sort of goes faster and faster and faster. And so what you have to do, if, the, if you're a chronic worrier, is consciously take control of your thoughts. Shut it down. Stop yourself. And you can do that. Now, what will happen if you're a chronic worrier It'll start right back up again. But if you'll shut it down again, eventually your mind will listen to your will. Eventually you can stop that thought process. So Jesus has commanded us to do this so we have some control over our thoughts. And so you're going to need to make a conscious effort to shut down that runaway mind, to stop yourself whenever you start to worry. And that'll be new to you at first, and you'll have to do that repeatedly. Secondly then... Talk to yourself. Uh, speak the truth to yourself. Uh, you may need to even talk out loud to yourself. Try to do that alone if you can. You'll look a lot less uh, weird if you can do that. But you may need to say when this starts. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have a father who has promised to meet my basic needs. I am not going to live like a faithless person. You see, you just rehearse the truth of this passage to yourself. Talk to yourself. You stop your runaway mind, and then you talk to yourself. Now wait, this is what I believe. You can quote scripture to yourself. Learn some verses about the provision of God. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Ephesians 3, 20. God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Tell yourself that verse. So you talk to yourself and speak truth to yourself. And do you understand that worship is a way of speaking to yourself? Now some of these worship songs that you have just sung are speaking to God in worship, but some of them are about God, aren't they? Really, when you're singing, some you're, you're talking to God, but some you're talking to yourself and to ourselves, and we're confessing things about God. And that worship, I'm saying, is a way to help overcome worry because worship speaks truth to yourself. The third step to overcome worry is to talk to God. So turn your worries into prayers. Worry is wrong. Prayer is good. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your requests known unto God. So you translate worries into prayer. So if you're prone to worry about something, stop yourself from worrying, talk to yourself about it, and then pray about it. Then when you start to worry about it again, say, wait a minute, I've already prayed about that. I'm not going to worry about that. Uh, we're going to see later in chapter 7 where where of this sermon where Jesus is going to say, if a child asks for a fish, will a father give him a serpent? No, he knows how to give good gifts to those who ask him. You know, a lot of times I find that when I'm worrying about something, I realize, yeah, I really haven't prayed about this. And you have to stop yourself and say, wait a minute, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to stop and pray about this. Whenever you start worrying, ask yourself, have I prayed about this, translate your prayers, your worries into prayers. And the fourth step to overcoming worry, as we have seen, is to fill your mind with something bigger. So you want to replace a negative with a positive. And the positive is to develop a kingdom 
centered life. In, there's a contrast in verse 32 and 33. In verse 32 it says, For the pagans run after all these things, and it says, But you seek first the kingdom of God. Same root word, translated two different ways, a little different form of the word. Same Greek word there in the original. It, so the pagans run after a lot of stuff, you run after the kingdom. The pagans seek these things, you seek the kingdom. So you see, you're replacing a negative worry with a bigger purpose in life that'll get you off of your problems and move you to the kingdom. Didn't he already teach us to pray? The way he taught us to pray was, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so you live that kingdom-centered life, and there's something bigger that fills your life, and it sort of crowds out self-centered worry when you're kingdom-centered. Is God speaking to you about anything in your life today? Would you right now say, God, I want to live differently. I don't want to live the way I've lived before, and I don't want to live like people who don't know you or act like you're just up there somewhere. I believe that you are my Father, and I want to live that way. Help me, Lord, to follow your word, to live for your kingdom, and not be a worrying person. Would you bow with me in prayer? Oh, Father, this hits home to our lives so practically. Lord, we want you to be Lord of every part of our lives. So we open our lives up, our worries. Some of us have got health worries. We've been to the doctor and had a test, and it's so tempted to, to what if that all the way into the future? Some of us have got financial worries about our jobs, our income, our debt. Some of us, Lord, have got some worries about relationships. We're worried about kids or grandkids or worried about our, our marriage or worried about aging parents or whatever it may be, Lord. We bring our worries to you because you love us. We turn them into prayers. And we want our faith to grow. And most of all, we want to seek with a passion your kingdom that will fill our lives and give us peace and joy as you provide for our needs. Oh Lord, we offer ourselves to you in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand together with me in a time of, of invitation? If you don't have a father who's your redeemer, Yes, you have a Father who created you. He created all of us. But He wants you to come into a relationship with Him as that heavenly Father who will redeem you, will care for you. And He won't force that relationship on you. He invites you. He, he draws you. No one comes to the Father except the Spirit draw Him. But He draws you to respond to Him. Would you do that today? I'm going to invite you while we sing in just a moment. If you want to become a Christian, you want to be baptized, as Mackenzie was earlier in our service, we'll have baptism again next month. Today, you could come and say, I want a relationship with God that will banish worry. I'll, I'll, I'll confess Him as Lord. I'll follow Him. I'll give my life to Him. Would you come and meet me or another pastor here? If you need a church home, Christian life's to be lived together, and we would welcome you to join us as we seek to live it, come into our family and the way you join by walking forward. If you want somebody to pray with you about worries in your life, there'll be somebody glad to do that. Let's sing together.